I'm speaking with uh, Joe Kramer, who scored uh, Christopher McQuarrie's Way of the Gun, and of course now reuniting with his friend and director again for Jack Reacher. Joe has also done dozens upon dozens of amazing uh, documentaries and smaller films as well. Uh, thanks so much for talking with me today, Joe. Thank you for having me. So I think it's safe to say that you uh, know Christopher McQuarrie quite well. Uh, how would you compare working with a director uh, that you're friends with versus a director who is, you know, strictly business with? Hmm. Well, I mean, first of all, it's all—it's always my hope that any director that I work with, we become friends. Um, it just makes working with somebody so much easier if you mm-hmm. have a friendly relationship. That being said, probably the biggest difference between working with Chris, who I've been friends with since I was 15, and a director that I may have met recently is that Chris has absolutely no problem telling me he hates what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, there's a certain comfort zone (laughs) that you have to have a thick skin when you're working with a friend, especially a friend from New Jersey. Um, That being said, what's also nice, though, is that I trust Chris implicitly, and... I have no problem sort of taking a chance and showing him an idea that might seem like it's completely out of left field on the off chance that he may listen to it and hear something in it that sparks his imagination and catches his interest. So there's that having that sort of safety net of friendship really helps. Mm-hmm. And it, does, it, does it go both ways? Do you tell him if he gives you some footage and you're going, what the hell is this man? You know, <laughs> Well, you know, it depends. I mean, I try not to, unless I'm invited to do that, I try not to volunteer too much of that because I'm sure Chris has people all around him with suggestions about how to improve his movie. Um, there were there was one thing that I can think of where when Chris showed me the movie, I gave him sort of my thoughts because there was just one element to it that wasn't working for me. I, I shouldn't say it wasn't working for me, but I thought I wasn't sure if it was sending the telling the story the way he wanted it to be told. Mm -hmm. And uh, that element is almost completely removed from the movie now. So I don't think I was the only one who felt that way. It seemed like it was a pretty universal... I think Chris probably agreed. Chris clearly agreed, too. So, So, I mean, as a composer who has worked with many directors um, uh, over the years, in your opinion, what are the best traits for a composer, I mean, for a director to have that you work with? Well, I mean, yeah, that's a good question. The, probably the best directors are they can make a decision and they can and they can stick with it and they can understand the impact of their decision, mm-hmm. the consequences of it. One thing that's really exciting about working with Chris is that when we recorded the score, we recorded it with many musicians all playing at the same time. We didn't break it down into sections and do the strings on Monday and the brass on Tuesday and the winds on Wednesday. Uh, And that really, that requires a director who is willing to commit to the mix and the balance of the instruments Mm -hmm. as it sounds in that take. And we could do two or three takes of the whole orchestra and, you know, edit together, you know, the takes if, if there was some question of dynamics or whatever. But generally, Chris had to make a decision on the scoring stage and live with it. And that's 
more and more rare these days. More and more directors want the composer to record the orchestra in sections so that when they're mixing it against the movie, they can push and pull things against the sound effects. Right. And, you know, that's pretty amazing. That's a great quality for a director to have is that uh, ability to commit to the mix. Which isn't to say, you know, if a director wanted to do a, a score broken down like that, you know, that I wouldn't do it, you know, because, of course, I think the one of the most important characteristics a composer can have is to sublimate their ego in service of the film and in service of the director. Mm-hmm. Um, and, not, and that isn't always in service of the score, but right. that's the way it goes. So if those are the best uh, the best things from a director, what what would be the the worst traits for a director to have? <laughs> huh. Well, I mean, obviously, with anything on films, anybody having sort of an out of control ego is a problem. Mm-hmm. Um, a composer, a director, a producer, an actor, whatever. You know what I mean? So right, right. anybody who wants to work on film, I think, has to be able to sort of look look at their decision-making based on what's best for the film and not necessarily what's best for them as a composer or director or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily a bad quality for a director to have. It's sort of inevitable, but it's it can be very frustrating when a composer, obviously, is, as I'm sure you've heard before, it can be very frustrating when a composer is fighting a temp. Right, right. And being pushed to copy the temp as close as possible, you know, and sometimes being told to go back and make it more like the temp over and over again until it's just the temp, you know, (laughs) that can be frustrating, but you know, I can't blame the director for that, except, uh, you know, it's more a question of the process and where the process has come due to uh, digital editing, I think, more than anything else. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it's it's funny because I'm I'm not a composer, I'm not a musician, and but as an editor, as a, a storyteller, as a director, a writer, music is kind mm-hmm. of I need the music. Like it's hard for me to to write without music or to edit without music. But you were very uh, blessed, I guess, because Chris, I remember you talking last night that he didn't mm-hmm. use a temp score at all. No, Chris has been involved with a number of movies where he was just very frustrated with the fact that the final score sounded so much like the temp Mm -hmm. and that's not a dig on the directors or composers that he's worked with before that's just a a case of the work of their process you know and you know you know um his feeling was that it's inevitable that if you show somebody something they're gonna latch onto it and the, the the you know the um one of the issues that can be tricky with a time score is that you'll find a piece of music that isn't necessarily the right piece of music, but it changes at the right spots. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Or it turns in ways that seem to fit the cutting of the scene, and you end up sort of thinking that that's the right solution to the musical needs of that scene, simply because the chord changes happen to fall at the right places, mm-hmm. even though the chords are totally wrong. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And then you sort of end up, as a composer, saying, look what it could be if you did it this way, and they just can't see it because they're like, it's different than the temp, and we trust the temp. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. It's sort of like if you test a movie with a temp and it gets an 80, you think, well, I've got an 80. That's guaranteed now. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. If you start messing with the temp, even if you're making it better, they're like, I I don't want to mess with my 80, you know? Right. So the Um, directors just get latched onto it and they fall in love with the temp. Right. Mm -hmm. And even though it's not necessarily the best that music you could have for that scene, it's good enough. And they're like, they don't want to risk losing a single point. And I, you, know, you can't blame them. I mean, so much hinges on test audiences and preview screenings. You know, you can't blame them for not wanting to mess with something that works. Mm-hmm. But still, as a composer trying to be like, to, you know, work in the art form and not necessarily work as a business person, you know, you have, that's the thing as a film composer. You're always balancing those two things too, you right, know? Right, right. But I, I mean, I have to say though, after last night watching it, I was, I was, I was, I really loved the film. It was, I wasn't expecting it. I think just the the way it was and the way your music uh, was used in it, and how terrific your, I mean, your score was so terrific. And I think anyone listening who's on the fence about seeing it, I assure you, it's not how the the trailers I think make it out to be. This isn't a, a Tom Cruise kicking ass for two hours type movie. It's a very calculated uh, action mystery. Uh, that feels that if it was, you know, plucked out of 70s crime cinema. Uh, did, uh-huh. you, did you uh, kind of reflect on any classic film scores from that decade to, to influence you? Yes. Well, when I first saw maybe the first 40 minutes of the movie, I was immediately struck by how much it reminded me of Lumet and Alan Pakula. Mm-hmm. You know, Dog Day Afternoon, um, All the President's Men. Uh, French Connection. Yeah. Uh, the one movie that Chris wanted me to go back and revisit, you know, just to, you know, just for for a, a point of view on music, was The Exorcist, which totally threw me off at first because it's such a different genre. Yeah, really, yeah. But uh, but I I in watching the movie again, it's like, oh no, I think I do see some of what he's going for, and there's there's a few traces of of the uh, of that viewing of The Exorcist that snuck their way into the score in terms of some piano textures hmm. that uh, I thought were really cool. And so I kind of uh, was influenced by that. I mean, Reacher. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I was definitely aware of the 70s vibe of it right from the beginning. It just felt like that. You know, oh, yeah. part of it's photography, part of it is the um, the pace of it and the way that the story is told. It's funny, in, in the whole year that I've been working on it, it never occurred to me until another critic pointed it out in a review how De Palma-like the opening is, you know, because yeah, De Palma yeah, yeah, was yeah. always doing those tracking shots and long sequences with no, you know, without explicit, necessarily explicit dialogue, so to speak, but it was more like spying on people. Mm-hmm. And that whole sniper sequence is very De Palma-esque. And I loved it. I mean, it was uh, one of my favorite openings, I think, of all time is Once Upon a Time in the West, which is like no dialogue for, say, 18 minutes. So I was... Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, when, you, when you saw that, was that, when you when you saw that, did you get intimidated or were you like, ooh, this is a fun playground for me, you know, to to start off on? Right. Um, I can't say that I was intimidated as much as I felt like it was a challenge that I wanted to rise to, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I really look, I mean, I did weigh the gun in 2000 and the movie never really opened. So, 
Chris and I have, I've been waiting, and I know Chris has been waiting. We've been waiting a decade, 10 years, <laughs> for a chance at a, at a movie like this and this kind of exposure and stuff like this. Right, right. So I, I seized every opportunity I could in the movie, you know, right. to do the kind of things that I love to do or that I love to see in movies. Um, I wasn't too, you know, intimidated, I guess, by writing a piece, writing a score for a large group. Um, I get the biggest sort of uh, mental obstacle to get over was knowing because Tom Cruise was also a producer on the film that he would be a big, he would have a very large say in who got hired as a composer. Mm -hmm. And I didn't want to, I just couldn't dwell on that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. If I had tried to second guess what I thought Tom Cruise would have wanted as producer of the film in the score and ended up writing something that I wasn't nuts about, but I thought it's what they were looking for. And then I didn't get the gig. I would have been kicking myself, you know, forever. Right. So I thought the best chance I have is to write what I think is right. And if they go for it, great. And if they don't, it wasn't meant to be, you know what I mean? Right. So in that sense, I wasn't intimidated at all. I just said, I'm just going to do what I think is right. And hopefully it's Chris agrees. And then hopefully with Chris on board, Tom will agree. And the great thing is that Chris and Tom are really good friends and they really share so much in common with each other in terms of their taste in movies. Mm -hmm. So I was pretty confident that if Chris was into it, Tom would be into it. Oh, and that turned and out to be true. It, and I think the entire audience, uh, as well, I mean, it, it was such a perfect opening, and the, the, I felt such a strong voice throughout. Never uh, the flow and the structure and the approach just seemed so. Uh, it was just solid the entire way through. It was great. Yeah, it's funny with Tom Cruise because I think there's a certain. It's almost like people. He's so good at that, and I think some people it annoys them how good he is. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And they, and, they, and they sort of reject it. Like, you can't be that good-looking and that young-looking and that athletic and that good. I just refuse to accept it, you know? <laughs> so. Um, well, going back to the score, I think another uh, aspect of it um, that kind of surprised me, that stood out, stood out for me, was uh, kind of the lack of percussion in it. And for an action film in modern day, I mean, it was such a beautiful, low, brooding score with, like, pulses of energy mm. that worked so well. But was leaving out heavy percussion kind of a... Was that a decision that you made early? Like, I'm not going to use any percussion in this in this action? That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that. Um, probably a lot of that is a result of the spotting of the film. Mm-hmm. So the scenes where we wanted music were just not scenes that needed to be driven by percussion. Right. If Chris had designed the film with with uh, music in mind for the car chase, I can't imagine there wouldn't have been some kind of percussion there. Yeah, yeah. But from the very beginning, Chris intended that car chase to be scored by the sounds of the engines. And so there just was no room for it. Um, I also know that we wanted to avoid certain sort of tropes of military music. So we didn't really want a full-on solo trumpet playing the theme. Yeah, of course. And yeah. we didn't want, like, we didn't want, like, snare drums doing, like, military marches. Uh -huh. um, and Chris, you know, Chris is not always crazy about some of those things anyway. 
Um, I'm trying to think. I mean, the main title has some pretty uh, driving timpani played by uh, Don Williams, who is John's younger brother, by the way. Oh, wow. And, uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then um, a lot of the percussion was like, I mean, I used the gong a lot. <laughs> yeah, I did. I uh, heard that, yeah. <laughs> you know, and I sort of use it almost like, in a weird way, to me, it almost acts like a human breath, you know? Sort of when you see something, like if you see something super massive and you just kind of go, Oh, yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? But so didn't use the gong kind of like that. There was a lot of um, timpani, gong, some bass drum, and then vibes I used a lot. I often had the vibraphone doubling the harp and the piano, hmm. which sort of creates a, a sound that sounds like a synthesizer, even though it's all analog, which I kind of like pulling tricks like that. That's pretty cool. But there's no snare and there's not there's no castanets in this one like Way of the Gun, you know. Yeah, yeah. It, you're right. It is less driven by percussion than maybe. It's certainly devoid of any electronic drum loops or anything oh, like yeah, that. You absolutely. Know, there's, there's one sort of low booming sound that was a mix of live orchestral bass drum and then like a sample drum that I had, but mm. we didn't use the sample very much in the in the final mix. I mean, it made, it did make it stand out, and it, it it because you're just I'm I guess I'm just so used to hearing just like for every action right. Movie. So it was such a nice break from that to just let it work over the audience and kind of emotionally draw them in. So it, it definitely helped. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Um, another thing about the score is silence plays such a huge role in the film. I mean, like you mentioned the car chase, but there are other moments of tension and and suspense that. Uh, really relied on the silence. And uh, how do you determine, mm -hmm. as a composer, I mean, I guess just also with the spotting sessions, but as a composer looking at it, uh, how do you determine when you should back off and kind of let a dialogue and the diegetic sound play without any music? Well, I'm going to be honest, I really trust the director with that. Mm, okay. So I have no problem writing music for the whole movie from beginning to end mm -hmm. and then letting them pick and choose what they want. It's not necessarily terribly efficient, but it, it, I'm fine with that. You know, a movie like Empire Strikes Back, you know, there's 40 minutes of score, I think, that John Williams wrote that they just never used in the movie. Mm. You know, yeah. the whole opening is, there's very little music in the whole opening of that movie, relatively speaking, and yet Williams scored it wall to wall. And they just dialed it out in the final dub. Mm. Um, so I, I think that's a totally valid approach. Uh, in, the, in the specific case of Jack Reacher, um, there are two or three sequences that I scored in mock-up mm -hmm. just because I felt Chris should see what the potential for the scene, you know? Mm -hmm. That this scene could have something here if he wanted. I'm thinking, for example, there's a right before the car chase, Tom Cruise pulls up to the hotel, and Emerson walks out of the hotel and sees Tom, and there's like this back and forth between their faces as they both sort of put it together. And it builds up to Emerson pulling out his gun, saying, get out of the car, and then the car chase sort of begins. And I felt like Chris should at least see that scene with some kind of music that built so he could make a decision. So he had all the uh, information he needed to be sure how he wanted the scene to play. He didn't use the music. He was like, you can record it if you want, but I'm not going to use it. Right. And I was like, okay, that's great. I get it. I'm not going to record it. I'm not going to, you know, 
waste everybody's time with that. But it was it was a good exercise for him to see it. There's one cue that we recorded that that didn't end up in the movie, and that was a cue for a scene between Reacher and Helen, where she sort of gives, she gives him a, a phone number for uh, Robert Duvall's gun range, mm-hmm. and they sort of have this moment that's sort of a love moment, but. Uh, and the music pushed it more into the direction of romance, and yeah. it was decided that just the movie was not going to go there. Right. So that was pulled, but that's on the soundtrack, the soundtrack album. And there's, you know, maybe five seconds here at the beginning or the end of some cues that were pulled. I know there's a cue uh, for Werner Herzog's character, who's called the Zek, where uh, they, they, there's like a little tag on the end of it that they pulled out of the movie. Hmm. You know, but those those are decisions that you make when you're scoring a movie. You think it's right, and then you record it, and it works. But then you see the whole thing together, and you watch it from beginning to end, and you just go, "No, you know what? That's we don't need that." Yeah. So, yeah, how it goes. So, as a as a composer, um, what influences you your writing the most? Uh, would it be the setting, the plot, or the characters? I know it's kind of a combo of everything, but when you're starting mm-hmm. on a project, what really calls out to you the most when you start on a film and gets your creative juices flowing. Right. Well, I think what happens is that you, for me, I, um, I react to the feeling of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like Reacher, it has a sort of gray tone to its picture. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it, it has a, there's a there's a realism to the movie. That's not. It's not. It's not a heightened reality. It's kind of realistic, um, based in a somewhat procedural type of filmmaking. Mm-hmm. So I felt like the music had to reflect that. And the closest I could come up with was All the President's Men, which oh, yeah, is a yeah. movie where where the film score, you know, because you know. Music is a total abstraction. It's not real. (laughs) I mean, we all know this, but it bears repeating. You know, when you're walking down the street, there's not an orchestra playing music. You know what I mean? If only. (laughs) But in a a movie, there is, you know. And I have, you know, you have to find a way to, to justify having music in a movie and part of the way of justifying it is finding the right color, finding the right tonalities, the right sounds. Um, and with this movie, it was like the look and the feel of it really dictated to me the, uh, the intensity of the music and the color of it. Um, the spotting of the movie influences the score a lot. I mean, it's a score, I'm very proud of the score, but it's a score that when you listen to it as a CD, it isn't necessarily, I mean, because without the car chase, you know, you know, there's no big action music, you know what I mean? There's no big battle in the snow cue, for example, (laughs) you know? Um, But that's because of the way we spotted the movie. I'm certainly capable of writing a cue like that if I need to, I would have been. I would have found a way to score the car chase if Chris had wanted it, but you know, it's whatever the, the this movie. <laughs> yeah, you know, this movie, the score really served more of a function of propelling narrative. You know, there's a very long sequence where Tom, where Reacher, 
outlines sort of the plot of the film. It's about halfway through the movie, and he sort of unraveled the mystery, and he explains it all to Helen. Mm-hmm. And it's about a 10-minute scene, and it sort of has three musical beats through it. So there's three cues that we did for the sequence. And we kept finding that the music had to push it, but we couldn't step on it. So it required a real delicacy. Yeah, yeah. But it, it required a sense of tempo. Tempo is pretty much where I start all of my cues. So when I'm writing a thing, for me, the most important thing to establish right away is the tempo. And, you know, I find that just by watching the scene and the rhythm of the acting and the rhythm of the cutting just starts to lend itself to me. And I, and I rely heavily on my instinct for decisions like that because I feel like, you know, uh, you know, I feel like if it isn't instinctive, if I'm trying to impose something on there that isn't instinctive, it's not going to work. True. And then you, and it kind of go into territory where you're trying to think of, it's not coming from within you. It's coming kind of from a, objective like oh it should be this right. not what i'm feeling it that's a, i agree with that completely right like i know that there's some you know there's probably somebody some composers who look at the literal rhythm of the cutting and just say oh well this magic tempo will fit all these cuts mm-hmm. but i i work the other way which is i find the tempo that's right and then i and then i jump through whatever hoops i need to both with very tiny tempo changes and with meter changes to catch cutting as i need to mm. So that you know, if that means throwing in a measure of seven, eight, or three, four, or whatever, I do it. And I try to find a musical way to do it so you don't notice. Right. Well, uh, to wrap things up, um, mm-hmm. I, always, I always like to ask composers this one question: uh, If you had the opportunity to score any film ever made, with no disrespect to the original composer, which film would you choose? Oh, that's interesting. <laughs> Um, well, I'd love to do a Star Wars movie. I'd love to do Superman. Okay. Um, no disrespect to the original composer. I wish I'd had a chance to do Valkyrie. Oh, yeah, yeah. That would have been really cool. You know? Yeah. So, but John did a great job, and I'm friends with John, so I mean no disrespect. Oh, yeah. But I would have loved to have had a chance to do that. Well, sure. So, big, big uh, thematic opus or quieter, tenser film? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, Joe, thank you so much uh, for your time. I really love the the film and your score is top notch and such a great, great kind of cap to the end of 2012. So thank you so much for the music. (laughs) Well, thank you so much for the compliments and thank you for speaking with me today. It's been really fun.